Before we do anything else, hopefully people don't mind, and I don't know, I might edit this into a sooner episode or what, or there might not be anything in that, <sighs> Rachel, you are a female as far as I know, <laughs> right? Babe. We are recording this the day after Roe v. Wade <sighs> is overturned, so I just want to give you the venue. If you want, you can say something. You definitely don't have to. Luckily for Evil and I, it's not really so much our place. But Rachel, the venue is open. If you feel you need to say something, you can. <sighs> There's so much that can be said. As white men, being that white men are the ones that make decisions in this country, you guys can say stuff, right? That seems fair. Wait, are you attacking us now? No, <laughs> <laughs> just white old white men, which Jimmy's almost there, but, um, (laughs) I was in a situation, uh, about 12 years ago, right before my son was born, where I had to technically have a, an abortion. And I was in the hospital and I was signing paperwork as I was in my robe and I was crying because I was so sad. And I remember the nurse saying, you don't have to do this. And in my head, I was like, fuck you, first of all. So there's that. Second of all, you didn't read my chart. So you don't know why this is happening. Mm. Third of all, I will die without this procedure. I will literally die. And to know that if that happened to me in a month, and I was in the same situation that thankfully I border Washington, I could just go hang out with Dave and he could drive me to a hospital and I'd be fine. But being in Idaho, I am, I think it was the second to least protected state in the United States. So that sucks. Yesterday was a shitty day. Today's a shitty day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just don't know how to process it. It's still all very fresh. I think it's important. Good job sharing that. I'm sure that's not fun or easy. And I don't really feel like it's my place to say anything except for what Rachel said. Anybody out there that needs anything, just shoot us a message. We'll help you out. Coming up on Verse Chorus Verse, we prove that there are dozens of people that listen to this podcast. (laughs) There are dozens of us. (laughs) Dozens! Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse. I am DL. I hope everybody is doing well. With me is Evil, the California man, Jimmy. Evil, (laughs) how are you tonight? I'm terrific. Are you? Yes, I am. How did your dirt move go today? I moved the dirt. I'm really tired right now. I moved (laughs) close to five cubic yards of dirt from my driveway to my backyard. Awesome. Yeah. Landscaping is fun. (laughs) So much fun. Also with us is Rachel put a ring on at polio. (laughs) Rachel, how are you? I'm good. She just got engaged, everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Sorry, boys. (laughs) We're not alone tonight. We've got a guest. We've got an awesome guest. That is why these are my favorite episodes. We have Tony. Tony, 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 how are you tonight? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Good to see everybody. How did the three... Do you remember Tony, Tony, Tony? How did they spell their names? With an it I. Was, uh, oh. There was an I, an E, and a Y. <laughs> so you you can be one of the Tonys then. I can be, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing tonight? Well, I call these episodes listener-supported episodes about twice a year. Uh, what we do is we have a listener on board to talk about one of their favorite albums. Last year, we had Mark Kowal to talk a little Counting Crows. Are you a Counting Crows fan, Tony? <laughs> Casual fan. I'm not like, you know, oh man, turn that off. I mean, uh, you know, I'll listen to it. They're, it's good. I appreciate it. I think that's fairly close to how I was. It's Fend really dug it though. We also had the fabulous Carrie Kirkland. Those are the two we had last year. Now we've got Tony. Tony joins us from Illinois, right? You're in Illinois? 
Oh, it all makes sense now. I am in Illinois, yeah. It's coming together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Born and bred? Born and bred, south side Ooh. of Chicago. South side? South side. Is that the good yes. side or the Ooh. bad side? It's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean... It's, I came out pretty good, but yeah, the area I grew up in is uh, a little rough. South side of Chicago, that's... Uh, actually, we just talked about Tyler, the mm. creator. That's where Tyler, the creator's from. It's the baddest part of town. Just ask Jim Croce. Exactly. (laughs) Just to give everybody a little geographical where I grew up. If you ever seen the movie The Blues Brothers, the bridge they jump over at the beginning of the movie is about six blocks from where I where my house is. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, they have like Polaroids from that jump at a little restaurant that's right there by the bridge, and there's mural Blues Brothers murals all over um, (laughs) that area. So yeah, it's it's the one thing we have going for us, and the actual church is like half a mile from where that bridge jump was. So it's they, they filmed a lot of footage over there. Very cool. So you're a Sox fan, not a Cubs fan. I'm not a Cubs fan. There are incriminating photos of me from when the Cubs won in 2016. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll admit, you know, I, I, I hopped on that bandwagon. I was like, hey, I feel bad. These, these guys haven't won. Yeah. There's a few pictures of me in a Cubs jersey. <laughs> well, Tony's here to talk about one of his favorite albums. If you could see his backdrop right now, you'd know that he's been listening to music for a very, very long time. Behind him right now are a couple of my favorite Cheap Trick albums. I'm not going to say if the one that we're talking about tonight is one of them, but you heard the band Cheap Trick is what we're going to talk about. Not a huge shocker now that you know where Tony's from. Tony, why Cheap Trick? Well, one, you know, they're, I, I'm very proud of all the bands from Illinois. Rightfully so. Including Ario Speedwagon. I <laughs> love Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> you, know, you know, they're good. Illinois has so many amazing bands, artists, rap. So many people have come from Illinois. Yeah, it's fantastic. Kanye actually, his mom's house was like Donda, four blocks from where my grandmother's house was. Wow. Yeah, that house is still there. When I have to go visit my parents, I have to drive past it. So it's all wow. Once he started getting a little bit more uh, fucking insane, a little loose, (laughs) (laughs) you know, he lost his street cred on the south side. I'll just say that. With Illinois bands and artists, I'm I'm a very proud listener. You know, I I Cheap Trek and Ario and Sticks, even like smaller bands like power pop bands. There's another band called Off Broadway that was kind of yeah. like a yeah. poor man's version of Cheap Trick. <laughs> but Cheap Trick is just one of those bands where they just really don't fall into a category. They're just mm-hmm. pure rock. You know, it's all the punks like Cheap Trick. Hard rock, heavy metal people yeah. like Cheap Trick. They got radio play in, in the 70s along, you know, so it's like you'll be listening to like Captain and Tennille and then, you know, the next thing you know, <laughs> Cheap Trick song's on. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that because it's true. That's the thing about Cheap Trick is I've never talked to somebody who they're their favorite band, but I do remember, you know, in my 20s, when you go to bars, if you go to the punk bar, you're going to hear Cheap Trick. If you go to the pop club, you know, the, where everybody's partying, you're going to hear Cheap Trick. If you're going to a place where the people that are on the heavier side hanging out, you're going to hear Cheap Trick. Super universal band for sure. Mm -hmm. Evil, you're a Cheap Trick guy. Yeah, I am. Well, I'm I'm a fan. I'm not like a super fan, but definitely. I love this era of music. So this is... Yeah. When we talked in 1978, I brought up a couple of Cheap Trick albums, actually. Yeah. Which we'll probably talk about tonight as well. So this is going to be fun for me. Well, we are talking a specific album, and we're going to get to that. First, before we do, I have to plug the music that we are featuring on the episode tonight. So the music that you heard in the intro and the music that you're going to hear on the breaks is by a uh, project, I guess you'll call it, called Holt Faction. He sent it to me a month or two ago, asked to check it out, see if we want to play it. The first track, which is called Track City, which is the uh, song you heard coming in the intro. I've had that stuck in my head for like two days. I really, really dig it. It's Bauhaus meets some kind of goth 2000s it's it's like it's you remember when bam margera was the coolest guy on earth it's like what he would have listened to in that period of time (laughs) there's not much to know about him he's out of virginia go to his uh, instagram at holt faction music he's on itunes he's on spotify really really cool stuff Uh, like i said track city i really love it good job hope we get you a couple downloads 
And now we got to get to the most important part of the night. Now, Tony has a lot going on. He's got some twins. And twins. <laughs> and he's got he's got a wife that's down for the count after a surgery. So are you even drinking, Tony? I am. Good man. I got a little beer Ooh. action going on here. It looks weedish. It's kind of hard. Yeah, it's a Wisconsin beer. I'll just say that. I don't oh. want to plug. You, you don't want to plug Wisconsin? <laughs> that's fair. I'm drinking out of a point glass, though, and... Rick Nielsen from Cheat Trick in the late 70s would wear a Point Brewery pin on his... Uh, no kidding. Yes. That's awesome. That's why I decided to wear that tonight. That's very cool. My, my twins start screaming, yeah. tough. No, I, <laughs> I don't mean that. Um, you know? uh, Rachel, let's go to you. It looks like you went with the tried and true. I have just a Marg. Jose Cuervo mixer, and then the last of my jalapeno-infused tequila that I made a while Holy back. Holy crap. Do you still have that? Mm-hmm. Is it, it super hot now? I think that it's not. My face isn't because it's so strong necessarily, but because my throat is has third degree burns on yeah. it right now from <laughs> the jalapenos. Been because when was that? That was. It's been at least. I think I it's know. been like two months. It's been a couple months. It was a while yeah, ago. Yeah, your boost has been. So that jalapeno <laughs> flavor is really in there. Good lord. It's good though. <laughs> Spicy. I have, well, I've got a beer over there, but I also made this, which is much tastier. I thought it was going to be really nice today. It's not. I'm in the Northwest, so it's shitty and rainy as always. But I have a not fuzzy, but hairy navel, which is basically vodka, peach, schnapps, orange juice. It's really good. Plus, I got a Red Bull and water. I've got all the liquids you could possibly have tonight. And I had a coffee like an hour ago. So I might, (laughs) this might be a tough one to rein me in for. Evil, what are you reading? Well, so there's a story behind what I made tonight. Trying to be welcoming to the podcast. And, you know, you and Rachel and Sven, we're all podcast family. So we, "Eh, I'm just drinking this tonight. But we have a guest on. So it's like when we're inviting someone over to the house. So I wanted to, you know, do something a little fancy. So I tried to find a cheap trick themed cocktail, which I did. I found one. I mean, it's not an official thing. I think this guy is Rachel Ray's husband. His name's John Cusimano or something like that. I believe he's friends with Rick Nielsen. Well, oh. so he was making a riff on a Greyhound, which I think is grapefruit juice and vodka. Yeah. He was going to make an Italian Greyhound and use Campari in it. But Rick Nielsen sent him his vodka, which is called, this is what I was oh, reading. Oh, Rick Nielsen has his own vodka? He yeah, does. Yeah, it's called Rockin' Vodka. <laughs> Damn it. This John Cusimano made this cocktail, which is a riff on a Greyhound, and he called it the I Want You to Want Me. And that's what I was going to make, but I don't have any Campari, and nice. I don't have any grapefruit juice. So I made a Pisco Sour with Aperol, and... <laughs> Close enough. It's really good. Nice. We'll call that the I need you to need me. There you go. A, oh, I like it. I think there's a name for this, but whatever. It's really good. You put in a lot more effort than I did. That's for sure. That is what we're drinking tonight. That is Tony. We are super, super glad that you're here. We're really excited to talk about this album. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back, and we will tell you which cheap trick Tony decided to go with. We are back. Thanks for waking up. Uh, before we get into this album here, the song coming in from the break, it was called Dear Satan. Yeah, not pulling any punches on that one. <laughs> Great song, though. I'm going to say it. I really, really dig this stuff. Not a lot of listeners for this. I think that should change. Find him on Spotify. You can just go to his Instagram. He posts pretty regular at Holt Faction Music. Kind of an old school, like a garage pixies kind of thing. I don't know. It's awesome. Did you say garageier? Garage. Well, I started. I stopped. <laughs> I like that. Well, I garage-ier. did, but then I stopped because, like, <laughs> what's garageier than the fucking Pixies? There's <laughs> not much. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Drum roll. Uh, I'll probably just insert one. <laughs> Tony, unless you all just want to say. <laughs> You're down. Tony, what cheap trick album are we talking about tonight? 1978's Heaven Tonight. Heaven Tonight. 
the third album by The Cheap Trick. Credited musicians on Heaven Tonight are Rick, Tom, Robin, and Bun. Here's my first question for you, Tony. Mm-hmm. What name do you call Bun? Oh, I, I Bunny. Bunny. I Bunny. Okay. Quick little plug for Bunny. I know he's, uh, you know, not in the band any longer, but he does perform mm-hmm. the last Monday of every month at a bar called Mary's in Rockford. Really? <laughs> yes. What does he do? Does he drum? I think he has some other musicians. They do, you know, some cheap trick songs. But That's really know, cool. Doing his own thing. April of 1978. This surprised me. I didn't know this. It was actually recorded in LA in Sound City through Epic Records. Uh, I think, sorry, I don't have this on my notes. I, I think all of their, at least their first four were Epic records, weren't they? Uh, no, I think up until 1990, they were still on. So Epic. they were on Epic records for a long, for okay. quite a while. The album with flame is what kind of saved them from getting dropped from Epic, which is why we can't play their music. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Produced by Tom Werman. Tony, are you a Tom Werman fan? I think he did terrific stuff with, with the three cheap trick albums that he produced. I know that they wanted a little bit more of a rough sound. They complained about it being a little too polished looking back on those albums. But I think he did a terrific job because it was it actually gave them airplay. Yeah, mm. that's true. It yeah. widened their audience. Yeah. It's like the first Cheap Trick album, it's rough. It's a little bit more raw. It's a great album. but yeah, That's the, a word I'd, you'd describe it as raw. Yeah. But In Color, Heaven Tonight, and Dream Police, those are polished. You're able to play them on any radio station. I agree. They didn't really hide it, especially going into the 80s. That I think they were really, I don't want to say sell out, but they were really trying to get big or yes. stay big or stay touring or whatever they could, which, shit, they've done it for you know 45 years. They're still touring and people are still going to see them. Absolutely. Rachel, had you had any experience with Cheap Trick before this? Um, Just as much as I'd seen Top Gun and heard a couple of their more popular songs, but I've never, until studying for this, sat down with a Cheap Trick album and listened to it. Not very much experience. I don't want to say it's going to be a Peter Gabriel situation. But... Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> um, Hate mail. Uh, <laughs> Evil, is this your favorite ch- Cheap Trick album? No. That's my short answer. Okay. We'll let you expand uh, later yeah. on. If maybe, because sure. I don't know. We're, I'm sure someday we're going to do a Cheap Trick dissection. This is how I want to go about this. This is very earnest, and I hope you don't see this as an insult, Tony. Up until I started studying for this album, because I lo- I really like Cheap Trick. Yeah. But I, I always kind of saw them as I loved their first album. I mm-hmm. love their first album. I really, really like In Color. I really like their second album. Yeah. And I always saw this album as the sellout album. Now they're just trying to sound like every other band that's big so they can get big. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping in this episode, you can kind of, this is why Talk you're wrong about the, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> you could kind of, here's why you're an idiot sort of thing. Uh, which <laughs> in all fairness, I am way out of the loop on bands like this. Other than, you know, being out of the country for five years, I've spent almost my whole life in the Northwest, mm-hmm. which is just a whole different music experience than the Midwest. So I want to start this by basically asking you, why is this album? Do you think this album's their best one? It was a change, like you said. I want to say maybe partly sell out, but it kind of expanded. I think their sound a little. I, there's a couple numbers on here that they're a little gritty, a little dark. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of has punk undertones yep. to it, I want to say. I think they're trying to adapt. Yeah, like you said, a little bit sell out, but it, it, they were adapting to, I think, more of a, a, a punkish garage uh sound to kind of go with the times uh which was you know like the jam and the sex pistols and stuff that started to invade america when i also i kind of always felt like and maybe i'm totally off here but the only thing i know about their name is that they initially wanted to be called american standard which is the what all the toilets are yeah. <laughs> but they couldn't do that so i always thought the cheap trick was kind of them it was very tongue-in-cheek yeah we're gonna use every cheap trick we can in the book to whatever we can take from the beatles or the stones or (laughs) even like elo or or whatever we're we're gonna do it i kind of agree with that too i just think that they're just so rick nielsen's background like everybody else saw the beatles and ed sullivan changes you know his way of uh of viewing music his his mom was uh, i believe an opera singer and his dad, I think, owned a music store. But so he kind of grew up with that music background. 
there was just kind of no escaping it that having that Beatles influence on on their sound. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not saying they're ripping the Beatles off because if you can't say that or or <laughs> every fucking band in the 70s everybody yeah. <laughs> everybody rips yeah. off the Beatles. Evil did cheap trick come to you at a younger age? No, well they put out an album in the late 80s that I remember there was an Elvis cover on it. That didn't make the, they weren't like huge for me at that point. It wasn't until later where I started like diving into earlier Van Halen and then exploring from there and getting into bands from like the late seventies, early eighties and more into like heavier rock and metal. Sabbath. and Yeah. Yeah, So I would say high school, college is where they really started to show up on my radar. And, And those were like the, the big hits through time they've just kind of become a band that i've liked just because i love that era they're they're like on the leading edge of one of my favorite eras of rock music which is like 78 to 84 i love the sound of the music of that era i don't it's probably nostalgia i don't know it's great there's something about the recording and then there's like this hard shift in the mid 80s where it starts sounding too crystal clear and too polished and too digital and that's why i like the kind of more analog sound of this music kind of an american i don't know what what to compare it to like an american version of queen or something it was yes yeah very much yeah i don't know it's that answer to it i want to talk about the cover first i'm very intrigued and confused by the choice of their cover on this (laughs) album which is california man because i think it's kind of one of the staler tracks on this album. Tony, do you like the California Man cover? It's not one of my favorite songs on the album. I, I think it's great. I really don't hear no difference in the original version and this one, because the original version was done, what, like four years before? I think that's the curiosity is why did why they decide yeah. to cover it and then put it as track three? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that's just more, that's just them being badass. Yeah. Fuck you guys. I can do whatever I want. I really love the album cover. Speaking of that, the serious the and seventies yeah. attractive guys on the front, and then the goose yeah. on the back. And this is the the it second was, cover that they did that way, which is I'm holding a copy right now because I've got one in the background. And I've got I got a couple copies. <laughs> 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 I have the under the hundred eighty gram in the back, and then you know original print over here. Um, yeah. If you look closely at Rick Nielsen's back pocket, he has a copy of In Color and cassette. Yep. They said it was kind of a not a f you to, to the record company, but I think it was just kind of like to screw with the record company because I think somebody at Epic was like, let's have Tom and and Robin on the front, you know, because they're they're the good looking guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> something about them live that just dominates. And I feel like Cheap Trick is one of those bands. Mm-hmm. Like, they are just so fucking good live. They are. How many times have you seen them? I've seen them five times <laughs> and I photographed them for for one. In 2014, I got photographer credentials. I just do photography as kind of a hobby. I do IT work for um, a public relations company. So. I was able to kind of grease some wheels and be like, "Hey, can I get some? <laughs> can I get some photographer credentials for uh, Riot Fest that they have in Chicago every year?" And uh, Cheap Trick was actually doing the entire Heaven Tonight album for their set, so I was like, "Oh, cool! I'm going to photograph them." And it's it is one of those, you know, you're kind of in awe of their performance where I like stopped clicking because it was just kind of like I was, I was in a really trance, having a blast. Just yeah, I was in trance and like. Rick Nielsen even like got down and like he showed me he has checkerboard caps on his teeth. Um, <laughs> I, I, like I heard about this story. Like he was like showing them off on TV. He's like, I got checkerboard caps fillings on my on my teeth, you know. And then like he leaned in and like showed me his cap. I didn't click the camera because I was just kind of like, oh man, he's like hitting the guitar fret and like showing his teeth off at the same time. But they're really fantastic live. The first time I saw Cheap Trick was probably, I think, 99 or 2000. And I remember the guy standing to my left was like, oh, first time, bout time. So <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was... Their live albums are fucking awesome. Um, I remember talking to my dad about this once and his explanation of it was that because he was more like evil, but he was a little more into the heavier stuff at that point, like the, you know, Sabbath and Dio and, and that sort of stuff. He had very specific opinions on Cheap Trick. And when he explained it to me, he put he akin them to something of a for my generation, like a Stone Temple Pilots mm. for your generation. Mm-hmm. You guys think that they're amazing. But for the people that weren't in their prime music listening years, that didn't have this playing regularly, it's probably like a, oh, they're good. 
you know, they're no Nirvana, they're no this, they're no that, but they're good. I think you, Tony, being from the Midwest, like when did you start listening to Cheap Trick? I remember uh, the summer of 88, and I mean, I was only seven at the time, but I remember um, uh, the summer of 88, The Flame was on the radio like all the time, and that was my first listen of Cheap Trick. The first time I actually heard Surrender, though, was probably like in the late 90s. Really, um, and it was at the it was at the end of a movie. I don't know if anybody's ever seen this movie. It came out in 1980. It was called Mad Magazine's Up the Academy. <laughs> it's got a a pre Karate Kid Ralph Macchio. <laughs> um, you know, it's trying to be like an airplane type movie. Ooh. Was there babes in bikinis in it? I believe there were. You know, it's yeah. 80s, you know, so I'm, <laughs> I'm like 95% sure there were babes in bikinis. I was like, oh, who does that? I was like, that, that's kind of a cool song. It sounds kind of hard, a little punkish. Sure enough, it was Cheap Trick. And I was like, oh, they have more songs besides The Flame. <laughs> Most people's love stories, because that's the thing, is people fucking love Cheap Trick. And I think most people's love stories that I hear are, you know, kind of the classic why you love a band story of, you know, hearing them on one great song on the Mm -hmm. radio, getting an album and just being able to turn on a vinyl and rock out. But while we might as well get on Surrender now, which has got one of the biggest songs of the last 40 years. Do you remember the... 100 greatest rock artist thing on VH1 that Carmen <laughs> yeah, Electra Yeah, like hosted. a free like, I love the I, rem- I remember thing. Yeah. I remember almost every single one of those segments cuz it's like this is my <laughs> music, right? And I the cheap trick segment I vividly remember it and it like this they they talked about the two good-looking guys, the two weirdos, yeah. you know, and the, how they they played with the covers and stuff, but the, how their songs were just so good and I, like surrender was one of the the primary songs they used in that segment. So that I think that's where it really started to stick out for me as being like, oh, this is a a cultural phenomenon kind of song. Kin it to one of those uh, very very rare. Like Tony said, every single genre of fan loved it because sur- I would put surrender up there with like a London Calling or a yeah. It just spoke to every single generation, every single genre of mm-hmm. that generation. I think it was like freaking 15 years later after the first time I heard it that I actually listened to the lyrics and like, oh, this is actually <laughs> about something. Like, this is actually yep. really fucking cool. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what it's about, but it's, <laughs> I think it's, and, and Tony, I'm going to let you correct me. I would think this is about, you know, just you growing up thinking that your parents are losers or whatever. And then the day that you realize that they're actual real people that had hopes and dreams and you know, they're rolling on the couch together, smoking a joint, listening to Kiss or whatever it was. How close am I, Tony? I, I'm going to agree with you on that one. It's definitely one of those songs. Oh. Yeah, it's definitely one of those songs where you're like, oh, my parents are total losers. And then you're like, hey, they're kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, like, hey, sorry, I kind of ruined your life a little bit. When Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, what about this song? I mean, you like this song, right, Rachel? I do like this song. There's okay. a lot of songs that I like. I mean, they they perform it in Daddy Daycare. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate. I've always loved this song. Uh, it's one of the most famous key changes of a pop. Like, it's right. It's a cheap trick, man. It's <laughs> a cheap trick. It's, it's <laughs> definitely a cheap trick. <laughs> yeah. God bless him for it. Rachel, you said that there were a lot of songs you like on this is there a specific song that stuck out to you with its uniqueness or coolness? Uh, that's a great question. No. no. There's not a song that I couldn't correlate with another band. And so in that way, no. Lyrically, Alfedersane was something that I felt like I had never heard. I feel like a lot of bands sing about killing themselves in suicide. <laughs> well... <laughs> <sighs> But not in German. Every, <laughs> I, I may be true. wrong, but I'm pretty sure every single Alice in Chains song is about <laughs> what Alfie Zane is about. <laughs> That's fair. Um, uniqueness for the time, for sure. I guess this is something that has kind of happened a lot recently. Is the on the radio, the end of on the radio with the DJ part at the end. I don't know that I had heard that prior to 1978, anything there. And Mm -hmm. it kind of had a, like the guy's voice reminded me of gorillas. So I kind of liked that about it. I love the ending of on the radio and that not only is the cool little DJ thing happening, but the guitar breakdown 
that's going on at the same time is fucking awesome. What Cheap Trick does in songs like this, I think really influenced bands that I love now, bands like The Strokes or The Vines or Alvita Zane, the guitar riff that's happening in Alvita Zane. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. say that that influenced a lot of bands like that too. Mm. You could hear not only like the influence on Def Leppard, 80s albums, you know, that guitar sound. Good one. Definitely a um, couple of uh, Judas Priest albums, which mm-hmm. which leads me to this. With Def Leppard and Judas Priest, they all started playing on uh, Hamer guitars. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Hamer guitar is from Winnetka, Illinois, which is like a stone's throw away from Rockford. And Rick Nielsen, um, on the back cover of Live at Budokan, he has like a Sunburst Gibson, but it's a it's a mm-hmm. Hamer guitar, and they oh, it's a Hamer, it's a Hamer, and oh, they wow. um, I think the code on that one's like zero zero one. He's got like wow. one of the first ones. Nice. I'm not sure if you can attribute it to Worman, the producer, because he also did him. But there's a couple parts in here that remind me of the exact same era, seventy seven, seventy eight, Ted Nugent. What was the big late 70s song Ted Nugent had? Stranglehold? Tom uh, co-produced that first Nugent album. So yeah, you could you could hear that. Oh, that you sound. completely. You yeah. totally can hear that sound. It reminds me of uh Dazed and Confused. Yeah. Like it's that kind yeah. of it's kind of that feel. It, which... that, I mean, you could have a whole podcast on that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Xander's voice, which is amazing. He has some of the coolest mm-hmm fucking screams and you know like one of my favorite songs is the the opening track on in colors you know when he just pops out screaming hello there ladies and gentlemen it's one of the fucking coolest starting tracks ever there's a couple times on this album i don't know if he does it on purpose but it's it's like paper thin like on top of the world is a good example it's almost like when he recorded it, there was somebody in a room sleeping <laughs> next door. So he's like, you're on top of the They're world. Like, oh, you're oh, on top oh. of the like- In current music, that's like, oh, whatever. But if you rewind the clock and listen to that in the context of 1978 and prior, mm-hmm. those are some heavy lyrics or, you know, heavy, yeah. heavy vocal technique. I think he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You see this, you know, suave, good looking guy just come on stage. You think he's just going to croon. And then all of a sudden he's fucking wailing you're like holy shit <laughs> you're like i mean especially like you know late 70s he's wearing you know a white suit i hear a lot of alice cooper influence in this you know like schools mm. out alice cooper and yeah rick nielsen i mean he's i mean he's getting up there the man's over 70 god is he really and he yeah i guess mm. yeah. yeah they they came on the, the last scene. time I... they were already weren't they like late 20s 30s or something yeah they're already pushing 30 mm-hmm. by the time Man. they got on the scene and the last time i saw them i think was three years ago like right before the pandemic and i think at that point he had already missed some shows because he had a really bad flu he could still wail on that guitar he changes the guitar for every song wow does he really um, hmm. he really does yeah i guess it's a big deal live for me but uh, every single thing I read about this album, you basically have to mention that this was the first time that the 12-string bass was used. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. It's like, so I just, this is just me covering our asses. That yes. <laughs> yes, we know the 12-string bass was used. This is meant in the nicest way possible because I don't get it. This band should have been massive. It should have been huge. And they ended up getting a very, very consistent, not just cult following, but they ended up getting a very consistent following, but they didn't get as big as a lot of the other bands did. Why do you think that is? I honestly think they, uh, they really enjoy the touring. They're just really kind of hardcore with their fan base in the Midwest. And I I think after a while, they're just kind of like, you know, we're probably not going to get any bigger. We just like touring and we'll just, you know, stick it out for the fans. There's a lot of money in touring. Mm-hmm. A lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be super into it too. Rachel, any more thoughts on this album before we get into awards and categories? Nothing that's not going to come up in awards and categories. So I can hold my tongue. Evil, down to you. I have a lot to say. Uh, that, <laughs> yes. I feel like the story of this album, we can't talk about it by itself. We have to talk about the Live at Budokan album as well. I like that. Because... It ties together a lot of things and answers a lot of questions. You alluded to their live performance and how they are killers live and have been. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty well accepted that without that live album, they probably wouldn't have 
gained the success that they did. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, they recorded Budokan, I think, uh, what, the day after the album came out? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yep. Yeah. In Japan, they already they already knew the lyrics to, to Surrender. Right. It's like yeah. kind of like, whoa. They're big in Japan. They're really huge in Japan. But uh, yeah. totally agree, because they, I think Epic put the release of, of Dream Police on hold for a while. The Budokan album was not supposed to be released. That was supposed to be a Japanese exclusive. Mm. Yeah. And so it was released in Japan in 78, I believe, and not officially released in the U.S. until 79. And that was because the bootlegs or whatever, the fans were like, we want that album. Yeah. That's really what launched them from being like, you know, a successful touring band to being like a enormous in, in that time it's period. so good. Yeah. Something that you said, I was trying to put my finger on why was this band so big in that time period? And then... They didn't fade away because they're still the hits, but they're just not widely regarded as, you know, like a queen or sticks sticks or or some a lot of their contemporaries. Mm -hmm. I think it was the disconnection between what they are live and what the production was on the albums that was sculpted for success in 1978 Mm -hmm. and it got them radio play and it got them success in 1978, but probably didn't set them up for the longevity or the like the in quotes legendary career of some of those other bands the other thing that i think kept them from reaching that threshold of the legends you know the mount rushmore of rock kind of bands is there was no one beyond this earth personality in the band like rick nielsen he was the songwriter and he's kind of a character and he's quirky Mm -hmm. and a, a tremendous guitar player tremendous songwriter but I, he's not like that super charismatic character yeah. that could have pushed them over the edge. And they I didn't and have a yeah, I mean, plant or a mercury or a, right, right. And I think that maybe is one of the things that kept them under the radar long term. The issues that Rachel raised, I think, if you listen to them live, some of those issues go away. The other th- part of their story is looking at how influential they are on a lot of the bands we listen to. <clears throat> Foo Fighters. <laughs> there, there's a live performance on one of the last years of Letterman's Late Show with Rick Nielsen playing guitar, the Foo Fighters backing him up, and they're playing stiff competition. Rolls playing drums, and guess who's singing? Mr. Taylor Hawkins. Taylor Hawkins is singing. Oh, wow. It is, and, he's, and he's wearing the white suit. Yeah. It's oh, amazing. Wow. It's an amazing performance. Watching that, I'm like, okay, this band was huge for a ton of the bands that we have talked about and fawn over. That's how, I mean, you can't discount that influence when factoring in how big Cheap Trick should have been, in my opinion. I can totally see Grohl. It's it's kind of ACDC-ish. It could have been an ACDC song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, it really could have. There's several songs that I, I could draw parallels to the cars or the who or ACDC mm-hmm. or Queen, but it's all mm-hmm. in this same era. It's like it, instead of like ripping them off, it's like a lot of these bands were just on the same wavelength. They were all well, they influenced the by year. the same stuff. Exactly. I have a ton of notes that reference other bands. Like on top of the world, I'm like, this is the Peter Gunn theme mixed with the cars <laughs> yeah. of the time. Yeah. Or, or like... That's not like they're ripping off Zeppelin, but I feel some Zeppelin influence with punk. They infused with like punk. They definitely yeah. ripped off Bob Dylan though. In <laughs> they didn't hide it there. And then how are you, Mr. Blue Sky? I get oh like my God. very ELO. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I is this the Beatles? I've heard this song. No, no, it's Electric Light Orchestra. It's the exact same song. And they came out. Here's the thing. This is an influence because this was just one year before. So it's like, I think they heard it and then they wrote something and then forgot that they heard it and then wrote the exact same song. That's Led Zeppelin's entire career. It's <laughs> <laughs> touche. Yep. Very That's true. <laughs> I'm trying to put some band-aids on these wounds, you know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, it's, it's okay. The resounding sentiment has been positive. It is, yeah. No, I'm it's on really your side, Toadie. I get Rachel it. I, I thank you. <laughs> thank you, sir. Like I said, I'm I'm very prone to Illinois and Chicago bands. Um, mm-hmm. I like Smashing Pumpkins, but I've I've had encounters with uh, uh, Billy Corgan and you know, kind of 
leaves a sour mm. taste. Leaves a sour taste in your mouth. I'll just <laughs> never, <laughs> never meet your heroes. heroes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mainly cheap trick. It represents a time. It's a very Midwest sound. A lot of bands that came out of the Midwest around that time mm-hmm. have that power pop, which is fucking awesome. It, it's great. It's kind of like a working man's rock, like mm-hmm. blue collar rock. You know, sure. mm-hmm. uh, especially like Chicago where I grew up. We we were the heart of like the steel mill industry. Um, yeah. Growing up as a kid, you know, the, the mills had just shut down. But like I said, like when the flame came out, they're, they're playing cheap trick all over and everybody's like, oh, cheap trick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, they're heroes, you know, they're the working man's heroes. They're their they're soundtrack. So it's just kind of one of those things that, you know, it's kind of like in our blood and our Illinois DNA <laughs> to say. It. And, well, and I love it because the music is amazing that came out of there. Mm-hmm. I think that also works to what Evil was talking about, where they didn't have these other worldly levitating above ground people yeah those midwestern bands just fucking came out and rocked and it wasn't oh look at that front man oh look at that dude shredding it was just no we're just gonna come out Mm -hmm. we're gonna fucking rock you're gonna get drunk and party and stoned and you're gonna have a blast yeah Yeah. i love it chicago sticks i don't know how the hell smashing pumpkins came out of there (laughs) but yeah I don't know. <laughs> Which I love Smashing Pumpkins, but I, I mean, man, I, I one like of these too. things is not like the other. I mean, like Billy Billy Corgan, he wasn't like a like a jerk or anything. He was just this is like in 2007. I worked at the music floor at a Borders Books and Music, and he came out of nowhere. He was wearing a Cubs bucket hat, and it was strike one. I forgot what theme? <laughs> for, yeah, strike one. So I was like, ah, oh, this guy's wearing that Cubs, and we had earpieces in, and I just hear somebody go. Billy Corgan's coming up to the music floor. Nobody freak out. And I'm just, and I was just kind of like, I could care less. He comes right up to me and it was, uh, they had that, I don't even know what the name of that album was, but it was like, it wasn't even a Smashing Pumpkins album. It was just him. He comes up to me. He's like, what are the sales on the album? And I'm like, I I don't know. And we literally sold like, we sold like two. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, what are the sales? (laughs) Oh my God. It's like, uh, guy working there. What are the sales? Yeah. It's like, it's like, I'm not even like, you know, a a big, this isn't. (laughs) What world are you living in, man? This is like. That's one of my favorite rock anecdotes I've heard. That's so (laughs) hilarious. So you said this was 2009? 2007. 2007. Okay. So Future Embrace came out in 2005. So if he still needs to know, U.S. sales were at sixty nine thousand total. I will not I will let him know. So, <laughs> yeah. Pretty bad, Billy. They're not. They're not doing well. Oh, you my. Know. oh okay. We're gonna leave it at that anecdote. <laughs> we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back, and Tony's gonna help us with some awards and categories. at like a more family oriented venue and they bleep out the fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we are back with Tony. The song that you heard coming in from the break is fly Holt faction. It's not that funny, Rachel. It is that funny. The third song off of the album that just came out a month ago, go to at Holt faction, H O L T F A C T I O N music. Check it out. I really enjoy it. Thanks for letting us play your music. Hope we got you a couple downloads. Awards and categories. We have to start this off. Tony, you listen to the podcast. You are aware of the categories. I'm starting this one off with the David Crosby Meh Award for bad reviews. <laughs> this is very confusing to me. But I'm going to read this whole thing and then we're going to we're going to discuss. Hold, wait, hold on. This is, is this just a transcript of what Rachel has said in the podcast up to right now? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's weird. It says one out of five stars, Rachel P. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so three out of five stars. Title of the review is Some of the Best Party Rock Ever. Hmm. This is from 2003. This is party rock at its wonderful best. Unfortunately, this album has one of the worst cover art of all times for a rock band. (laughs) The single image of those two dudes in the front must have put away a lot of potential customers away from the records. Xander's voice does really shine sometimes like it did. Stiff competition of Vita Zane. The end always with surrender. As for the songs, they are pop rock, crystal clear sounding, overproduced, bombastic. It's a really enjoyable album. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the cover art is what you're going to complain uh, about. <laughs> that was by. There's no name, so we're just going to call him Schizo McGee. I don't. <laughs> that is the most uh, crystal clear sounding, overproduced, bombastic. Really enjoyable album. <laughs> <laughs> he had a seizure mid-review. There's so much to unpack in that review. Yeah. <laughs> in that sentence, there's a lot to know. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. The DMX Award. What makes this project unique? Going back to that idea of they don't have this huge front man or like wild guitar virtuoso or some they don't have this character but they reached huge success this was like brilliant equating them to like a stone temple pilots of the time but there was no scott wyland in there you know True. they were successful in spite of that in that time frame the thing that stands out i mean even though it is pre-mtv but i mean it like this whole mix of like guys that look totally different you know, and they <laughs> true you know you got two two good looking guys and you got one guy that looks totally like a wacko and you got bunny on drums looks like he's going to give you driving instructions Uh, (laughs) you know and it's like somebody showed you a photo of the band even back then and you'd be like this is a band you'd be like what you know Um, so i I think for them to just kind of like defy the odds of just based on appearance that you know that they could fucking rock you know it's 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 pretty amazing overrated underrated or properly rated in its time and currently well in its time this album didn't sell very well Surrender wasn't a hit. It took a while for this to catch on. And it's times totally underrated. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can hear the influences, obviously. We talked about that. And it has its polish on the production, but it, it has a distinct sound. And now it, it's like a time capsule. I, I, I think people appreciate it more just based on the nostalgia factor. You could hear that, that analog sound. Yeah, uh, especially yeah. since you know, especially Absolutely. since it was recorded at Sound at Sound City, warm, super warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like warm. Mm-hmm. It's warm. It's kind of hard to explain, but. If you listen to those albums and you listen to Heaven Tonight, you'll totally be like, yeah, I get, yeah. I, and totally get I absolutely <laughs> agree. And I th- we touched on it in 78. Evil already touched on it in this episode. Yeah. There's just something about the sound that they ended up losing in the early 80s that was just so mm-hmm. fucking inviting. Rachel, mm-hmm. putting personal feelings aside, overrated, underrated, properly rated in its time and currently. Okay, so we all know that I don't have a lot of experience with Cheap Trick. So according to my research, this didn't it's, go gold Her nickname is Stats, five. by the way, Tony, if you didn't, if you hadn't caught that on the... <laughs> This didn't go gold until 79. So a while to go gold. And it didn't go platinum until 95. God, Um, that's crazy. And so with that in mind, I think it probably wasn't appreciated. I don't think this album is garbage. I think they are good musicians and it's a good sound. I just feel like it's an amalgam of a lot of different bands. And that's my complaint about it. It's not bad at all. These numbers kind of tell me that it probably wasn't very appreciated in its time. And now being kind of a nostalgic, we've heard it in movies, maybe a little bit more appreciated, but probably not to the degree that it should be. I think Cheap Trick is one of the more consistently underrated bands of all time. I think that they are kind of seen as one of those, I already asked Tony, why aren't they bigger than they are? And I think that was kind of Cheap Trick's thing. They were just the everyman's band, and I liked that they kind of concentrated more on the Midwest and just kept touring. I think that's one of the things that people love about Cheap Trick. Completely agree. Without their live album, they might have just dropped off the map after this album. Mm -hmm. It is probably what is responsible for the success that this album had. This was definitely underrated. Influences and influencees. I mean, we've we've talked about it a lot, but I want to move I want to give this to Tony since you have such a history with this band and and they're one of your favorites. They're from Rockford um and as I was pointing out, I'm drinking an alcoholic beverage out of a Point Brewery glass cuz Cheap Trick, like I said, they toured the Midwest and heavily in uh, Wisconsin and Illinois. They they didn't forget where they came from, the Midwest. They shine that, you know, wherever they were touring Japan. You could hear their sound in a lot of early 80s heavy metal bands. Mm-hmm. Even with the punk uh, movement, Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, you kind of hear he's trying to mimic a little bit of Rick's sound on on the guitar. Like and even, movie. I'm also a huge Clash fan, the, the bootleg of when they played the Palladium with the London Ooh. Calling. You could hear yeah. uh, Mick Jones is switching guitars 
And he was like, oh, uh, I'm not trying to pull a Rick Nielsen. <laughs> and, you know, but I think that was kind of like, and you could kind of hear a little bit of Rick, you know, and, and mixed riffs a little. And it's like, you know, if he if he's making that <laughs> nod, that means he's he's watching or he's observed, you know, Rick in action. I didn't take it quite as a dig. I think he was just kind of like, you know, oh, you know, Rick Rick changes guitars all the time and I'm I'm not going <laughs> to pull him, but I I you could definitely hear the influence in in a lot of punk guitars. Never mind the Bullocks Award. Evil, you kind of touched on this already, but uh, we know it's not your favorite. So, give us Right. This is cheating. <laughs> <laughs> the Budokan recordings are their best recordings. I think that's their best album. Oh. I know that you disagree with me. <laughs> They're best. You know, I can't there are just some live albums for certain bands that you just can't i'm not gonna argue that one i can't and to the point that just like the fan demand for it and how like Mm -hmm. as it was released later versions would include more and more recordings from those shows that's it that's like for me i think that is what made them who they are yep i'm gonna go next because i think this will save a little bit of face for keeping Tony, you know, he'll still listen to the podcast because here's the thing. I haven't been, I haven't been that nice to this album. I still have conveyed that I do really like this album, but this is like my fourth favorite cheap trick album. So that's the thing is I really, really like cheap trick. I, there's a few other projects that just suit me more, I think, Mm -hmm. but the one that matters, the one that picked this Tony do you think this is their best album? Uh, is this your favorite? It's definitely the game changer out of the first three. Like the 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 first one's raw, but definitely if we're we're going based on the first three, this is definitely I, I think the best one. With me, it's 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 kind of a package deal. It's it, and they're all recorded around the same time. It's uh, Heaven Tonight. They are the Budokan album and Dream Police. I think like if like Rachel, for instance, if we're <laughs> We're going to try to convert you. I'd probably hand you those three albums and be like, here, absorb. (laughs) The John Paul Jones Award. Rachel, would you add anyone on or replace anyone on this? She's disappearing again. (sighs) She has something snarky to say. See, at least you know Rachel's a nice person because she doesn't like... Having the opinions she has. Tony, I would just <laughs> I would just like to say I wrote this before I know you. But I I wrote down that I would replace them all with a better band. Oh, oh good God. Jeez. Jesus. <laughs> God, I'm so sorry. Wow. I'm gonna put in you know that Simpsons where he's like Look, Lisa, you can actually see the time where his heart actually breaks into afterwards. <laughs> wow. I, I, I feel like I just watched somebody like steal my wallet and I'm just like, I can't, I can't do anything about it. I'm just like, oh. I did. I just thought a fun guest feature and I might want to change this because I really like what Evil said about how there was no greater than the sum of its parts being here. But I never saw this guy as a, I think just because he, he was a big character, but he always still came off somehow as a working man's rock star. And that's Alice Cooper. I would have liked to have Alice Cooper as like a guest singer on one of these songs on this. Evil. What about you? Do you have a, a John Paul or a Ooh. whoops? Do you have a John, John Paul, Paul Jones? Jones? I don't. I, I like the fact that it's these two pretty boys and these two not pretty boys that are <laughs> in the band and they poke fun at it with their album covers and they're okay with it and they rock. It might be fun to have like some guest spots on songs, but as a core band men- member, I wouldn't change things honestly that's kind of the right answer <laughs> i do too many i wouldn't change anything on this is so i can't i can't do that all the time uh tony what about that's you true. Uh, i'm gonna agree with evil but i mean just to kind of you know mix it up uh, if we were gonna throw maybe a guest spot i would like to see uh ian hunter uh, maybe sing a, sing a track that's yeah. a good one yeah teach him young award I'm going to be surprised if it's not a unanimous answer, but we're still going to go through this anyway. Tony, what you got? Oh, it's, it's without a doubt surrender. Yeah. I mean, we all agree with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was easy. Yeah. 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 It's easy. <laughs> um, 
the John Popper Award, which, uh, what's, what's your favorite hook? So uh, this was like kind of a late in the game change for me because I would have picked something like Surrender or something, you know, one of the obvious choices. But as I listen to this more and more, I feel like this is an album that you have to listen to quite a bit before it kind of works its way in. Yep. The chorus to Take Me Back is something that I just found myself, I really like that song. And so it worked its way in. That was an earworm for me. It took a little bit, but that that's the one. So, uh, Rachel, I had written down Mr. Blue Sky because I thought that was oh. the best. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Because <laughs> ouch, no, just no punches held. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Tony, I'm glad you don't uh, sign my paychecks. Mine is radio. I really like the uh, Beatlesque radio thing that they do. I really dig that. I think it's awesome. Tony, what's your favorite hook on this? Uh, album? Besides surrender, obviously, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. stiff competition. I mean, it just it, mm. it. Robin sounds like he's like ripping your chest open and it's screaming in it your does. face. <laughs> I, you know, I agree. Uh, John Prime Best Lyric Award, uh, Rachel, our resident lyric lover. What do you got? Mm, Surrender. I thought that was, a lot of it was really clever. Learning now about the original lyrics. Um, <laughs> the the rewrite on that made it very obvious that a word was supposed to be in there. And I thought that was just mm-hmm. a clever cover up of that word instead of, uh, oops, slap on the hand. Let's not, yeah, you know, let's not put that in there. Let's rewrite stuff. I know it's the easy way out, but it's true. The lyrics to surrender are awesome. It's, yeah. I feel like most people, they hear surrender a hundred times before they actually listen to the lyrics and mm-hmm. then it hits you. I just, I just think it's such a brilliantly written song. I agree. And I'm going to drill down even further because there's one lyric in it that I think is, I don't know why it's just, it's kind of humorous. It's like, it's not really tongue in cheek and it's the line. They just seem a little weird. Yeah. It's like mommy's all right. Daddy's all right. They just seem a little weird. (laughs) I love that line. I don't know why. It's awesome. It's It's fantastic. Every kid gets that line. Mm -hmm. Every kid gets that line. Tony. Definitely surrender. Yeah. For all the reasons we were <laughs> we were talking about. On a personal level though, I stiff competition um is one of my wife's maiden name is Stiff, S T I. So it's one of those songs. It is. So it's like one of those songs if me and her are just, you know, having like a, a quirky argument, it, it gets blasted <laughs> on, on the sonars. Just just kinda just that's awesome. Just to kinda like piss her <laughs> off but make her laugh. That's, uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Eddie Van Halen Award. Let's start down there with evil. I love the 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 main rift of Vita Zane. I think it's it's so good. That was the standout guitar work on the entire album. And there's some great stuff on there, but that's the one that I'm just like, yes. That's like probably the most metal song on there. It's got punk crossover metal-ish. Yeah, that's it for me. Rachel, what you got? I really enjoyed the solo from the guy from Gorillaz on the end of (laughs) On the Radio. Again, at the time, very unique and very new. And I thought that that was really well done. Also, the guitar on at the end there I mean good, so. you're basically just saying that these guys influence the gorillas who evil and I absolutely love I don't, Tony are you a girl do you like the gorillas you love yes. the gorillas they mix you know a lot of different flavors into their yeah. albums. we so, love them um, they, they change it they're up. awesome yeah my Eddie Van Halen is actually the end of Alvita Zane when he's screaming the different mm. words for you know Harry Carey and Kamikaze mm-hmm. oh it's just such a good ending to a song Yep. Tony, what about you? I agree with you guys, Avita Zane. Wow. Especially every time I've seen them do it live. Uh, I mean, just Rick's doing that riff and at the same time Ugh. throwing picks up to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like he could hit that fretboard with one hand, you know, and be flinging the picks. And it's like, and he's got all these rings on his Yeah, <laughs> There have been very few guitarists that have tried to get every single fan a pick more than he has. <laughs> I've never seen a guitarist throw more oh, picks yeah. out. Surfer Rosa Award, how this album lays. I will start. I think this is a very well-spaced and paced album. I don't think it's top heavy. I don't think it's B-side heavy. I wouldn't call it really anything. 
Uh, Rachel, what about you? Um, I kind of agree. I really enjoyed the bookends of the album, but I do think it had a really good flow to it. I feel the same way. There are a couple of songs I don't care for towards the end, but it picked back up for me in a pretty big way. Uh, it, it, the album definitely has a good flow, and I, I agree with with Evil. There's a couple of songs where they're like kind of on the verge of being filler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're they're like, uh, and it's like uh, I could tolerate it. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, it, it has the album has a good flow. All right, we are getting down to it. We got to start with the time of your life award. I'm going to start with Tony because I feel bad that he has to even name one. (laughs) Tony, what is the worst song on this album? I'll agree with Rachel. Mr. Blue Sky. (laughs) (laughs) I like this version. Evil. My opinions on the worst songs are not the same as your guys's. I did not like on the radio. It mm. didn't work for me. I like the DJ portion that saved it, but it was a one note thing for me. And I really didn't like the title track. That one was so close to maybe being redeemed. There's like a point where there's like this harpsichord and some like heavy chanting and stuff. And yeah. I'm like, come on. And it didn't happen. And I'm like, that's my <laughs> least favorite song on the album because of it. But then they brought it back with stiff competition for me. So I'm going to say the title track is my least favorite. You know what my issue with Heaven Tonight is? And I like Heaven Tonight. Mm -hmm. But it reads to me as a song written about a heroin overdose or something by someone that has never done any. It's like the Mm anti-Lou Reed. It's like, (laughs) no, we've, we've, we've smoked pot at most. But we're writing a song about <laughs> heroin overdose. <Pot> at most. <laughs> Rachel. I don't think I'm going to get anyone to agree with me, which is weird. There was this episode recently of, of a show called Girls 5 Eva. Oh, I love that show. It's a fantastic show. Oh so they were talking about how their album doesn't have any filler <laughs> songs. like, And then it shoots back to the song where they're saying, are you ready? Yeah. Hey, Wiki, yeah, I'm ready. Like, and it's just that over and over again. Like, and that was a feeder saying for me. It was just filler. <laughs> I'm so, I, fuck me. Oh, I mean, you don't have to be uh, sorry. It's, I, you're the I one losing credibility. I'm going to like go to bed tonight clutching my copy of Heaven Tonight <laughs> and just like cry and like have the tears. Just, like, my I got to leave the plastic on because I'm going to really let the tears flow on that one tonight. Tony, you see the artists that are pinned up behind her, right? What? what? <laughs> Black pink in your yes. area, Tony. I think they're from Illinois, aren't they? <laughs> 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 time of your life and this is Lord. why i'm so mean I, <laughs> like so i'm gonna go with california man because it's just it's a cover and it's not mm. they didn't do anything special with yeah. it i've always had an issue with people that just yeah. cover but now we get to talk the good stuff the three best songs on the album i will start my third favorite song heaven tonight i actually really like that i think he's doing some really cool things with his voice I love the sudden change of speed in the album. I really like it. My second favorite is Surrender. It's Surrender. You know, what can you say? It's Surrender. And then my first favorite is actually Avita Zane. I fucking love that song. It rocks so hard. It is probably going to be on my workout playlist for the rest of the year now. (laughs) I love it. And I'm actually, I'm going to give a shout out to Eau Claire. That's one of those songs that if it was a little bit longer... Or they actually mm. like made a song mm-hmm. out of it. Oh my God, I would love that song. Those are my picks. Let's go over to Rachel. What about you? Number three, I put on the radio. It's a good song. I feel like I picked a lot of catchy songs for mine. Second, I did Top of the World. I thought that was good. I thought that was catchy. And number one, I just chose Surrender because I thought it was the best, even though it's an easy... I think Surrender is the best song on the album. So I'm going to leave. I feel like it should be exempt because it's, it's, it is what it is. So I have three others. My number three is Stiff Competition. I could see ACDC doing that. I could also see The Who doing that song. Yeah. I like that song quite a bit. My number two is Taking Me Back. That was the surprise song on the oh, album really? for me. Yeah. Hmm. I really dig it. I like the pop sensibilities. I love the chorus. And my number one is Off Eater Zane because that song rocks. Yeah. It rocks our socks off. It does. I love that riff. I love that riff. Tony, what are your three favorite songs on the album? Uh, definitely uh, Stiff Competition and Surrender. Uh, Avi Zane. Like we said, that riff, you got the, the intro and mm. then 
Bunny's drums just mm-hmm. they're like glam rock drums. They're real fat. Yeah. I'm not surprised that Rachel doesn't like it. She usually picks my favorite song as her least favorite song. So uh, you threw me for a loop on the last episode. So I'm glad we're back on track. Uh, That is true. (laughs) (laughs) And here comes the snark. Who won the album, Rachel? Less attractive groupies that couldn't fuck real musicians. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. I mean, that's, that's funny. That's good. Sorry. That just changed my answer. Rachel's hot takes won this album. Yeah. Rachel is the Stephen A. Smith of this episode. Yes. Oh my God. I am saying the song Surrender won this album. One of the biggest anthems of all time. It kept them in soundtracks and commercial money and concerts for 45 years. Brilliant song. Well done. Tony, who won this album or what? If we're going based upon people, it's it's any guy that's holding a can of Schlitz or <laughs> Old Style in their, in their <laughs> They're, they're yes. going to be like, oh, cheap trick. Yeah, brother. <laughs> I love <Yes>. that. <laughs> that's a great answer. Let's get the hardest one over with. We got to rate this album. Rachel, what do you give this? Four? Five? Four and a half? <laughs> Ambivalent. <laughs> I'm going to go next because I fear that Tony may see this as a bigger insult than a five. <laughs> I think that this album is the perfect seven out of ten. I think that it is a great rock album that you can put on whenever. It's not one of those, holy shit, I need to listen to this right now. But anywhere you go, any situation, it's going to get you there. Evil. I'm going to give it two ratings. I'm going to give it a rating in isolation. I think by itself, it's an eight. I think if you factor in it in context with Budokan, it is a nine and some change. That's cheating, but you're allowed to cheat. Yep. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Tony, what do you rate this? Uh, definitely a nine. Gotcha. It's a it's a nine. So not a ten, but goddamn close. Not a ten, but it, it's pretty damn close. Awesome, ladies and gentlemen, that is Heaven Tonight by Cheap Trick. Really fun. We had a bunch of Rachel hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much to Holt Faction for uh, having us play your music. I hope we get you some downloads. Most of all, Tony, respect and thank you so much for coming on to talk about this album. This was a blast, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Tony. I'm so sorry. I had a lot of fun. I'm a little wounded. You know, yeah. but, I'm just you know, here to I'm balance everybody out. I'm still a huge fan. Yeah. I, I tried to take some of those bullets for you. I know. But I, I saw that, man. There's, there's only so much evil here. There's a lot of bullets. Tony, you are awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope your wife recovers well, and good luck yeah. with us. And twins. And twins. <laughs> and twins. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on, man. This is fun. This is the first fan-supported episode I've been on, so it's awesome. Thanks for listening. No problem. All right, everybody. Good night and good luck. Oh, wow.